From the EPR Creation Studio, it's the Unconquered Podcast, bringing you the Miami Preview. As always, this show is brought to you by EPR Creations. EPR Creations partners with small businesses for website development and online strategy planning. I partnered with EPR Creations to build the Show the Safeties petition to get ESPN, CBS, and other networks to update the angles they use for televised football. If you want to be able to see the receivers downfield on pass plays, sign the petition at showthesafeties.com. And if you have any need for an improved internet presence or just want to improve your marketing, call EPR Creations or send them an email and let them know you heard about them from the Unconquered Podcast. You'll be glad you did. Information's in the show notes. Welcome to the first rivalry game of 2020, and Florida State happens to draw a Miami team at exactly the wrong time of the season. For one thing, it happens to be in the week where Mike Norvell has to sit out because of having tested positive for COVID-19, so that's not ideal. And also, it happens to be early in the season before Miami has been completely exposed as a fraud, and while they still believe that they're back and are therefore a much more dangerous and confident team. And then you combine that with Florida State being early in the season with a brand new coaching staff that has not really been able to to install everything that they want, has not gotten their team to to play to the standard that they want, still really working on on transitioning and, and flipping the, the team and, and getting things to where they need to be without a spring. This is really a bad situation for Florida State to come in in terms of a lot of the uh, the soft factors, the the off the field type factors that, uh, that 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 do matter. That said, it's still a really interesting matchup. And and when you start breaking this down, I think there's there's gonna there's reason to think that this game could be a lot more interesting than and a lot more competitive than. I think a lot of people who've watched both of these teams play this year might expect. And I'm going to start by talking about the Miami offense and its matchup against the Florida State defense. Now, obviously, Derek King and Rhett Lashley, the additions there, make the Miami offense a completely different animal than what, what they were last year, than what Florida State's faced in Miami for some years. Uh, I said before the season, I really like Rhett Lashley as a coordinator. I think he's a, a good coordinator, a good play caller. I do like his offense by and large. He does a good job of of working to construct his offense in a way that benefits his personnel. And if you give him a, a mobile quarterback, if you give him a, a dual threat, he really understands how to how to handle that. He's from the Malzahn tree, much like Mike uh, Mike Norvell, also from the from the Norvell offensive tree. But he does emphasize the running quarterback much more. Uh, more similar to the way that 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 Malzahn has typically done at Auburn and what he did at, at Arkansas years ago, as opposed to Norvell, who's taken that that Norvell direction or that that Malzahn direction and has gone a little bit more uh, more pro style passing as as an aspect of that and runs the quarterback less. So it's a little bit a little bit of a different fork of the same basic offensive. Uh, platform as it were or the same same basic programming but then uh Norvell has his own fork off of it and then Lashley has another so that that really does change things that that changes the dynamic pretty significantly and from and in my view to boil this down this matchup comes down to Florida State being able to stop the run and handle King's legs his his 
He's much more dangerous as a running threat, in my view, than as a passing threat, particularly since Miami doesn't really have wide receivers that scare you. They're, they don't have a group of receivers. You know, traditionally, Miami has been one of those one of those programs that has always had, you know, going back to Randall Hill and and those guys back in the in the 90s and and guys before that in the 80s. I mean, you, you remember Randall Hill, Horace Copeland, those guys, they had guys that, that would scare you on the outside. That was that was their tradition, you know, Miami speed on the outside. They really don't don't have that on this team. If you look at their top receivers on this team, it's their two tight ends and their three tailbacks. I mean, if if you if you look at these guys, Marshall Few, he's okay. You look at Mike Harley in the slot, he's he's a good player, but he's not what they've had there. Mark Pope is a former five star that I remember when he was he was actually marked out as a five star wide receiver, and I couldn't understand why. And I still don't understand why. I mean, if you're 6'1", 170 pounds, you'd better have some special speed. You better be super quick. And he's just not. He's he's a good receiver, but he's he's basically a good number two for, for a program. He's not a marquee guy like what you would expect if you're signing a five-star. And Harley, 5'11", good slot, good speed, good return man, dangerous player, but not what they've had at that spot. Marshall Few, 5'11", another guy that, okay, you know, not not great. And then you finally get to some of the bigger guys. D. Wiggins is is one of the other. Jeremiah Payton, you know, those are those are their bigger guys. D. Wiggins, 6'3", but he's he's had he's had some issues this year. I mean, he dropped a couple balls against, uh, or he dropped one ball, one important ball against against Louisville. Uh, just not a guy that gets open super easily. Peyton, 6'1", 195. There's just, there's not a special guy. I'll just put it this way. At wide receiver, you're used to Miami having at least one special player. And they don't have one of those guys on this roster. They don't have one special player at wide receiver. They don't have one guy that you don't feel like you can, you can single cover with the, with the secondary that you're putting on the field at Florida State. There's not one guy that you're like, oh man, we're going to have to make sure we help with that guy. Which does help. In terms of when you're scheming, if you're if you're fuller and you're trying to scheme for this team, it helps when you look at this and you go, they they don't have any wide receivers that scare me. And then when you watch King throw, you go, and honestly, I I don't think Eric, Derek King's arm really scares you. His arm scares you once you're actually worried about his legs, and then he can make some plays on the fly. If you can make him beat you from the pocket, you feel pretty good about it. Keep him in the pocket, force him to beat you downfield, and you actually you've got a pretty good chance of limiting that offense. Cuz he'll miss throws now. He'll throw and he'll throw he'll miss high sometimes too, and that that is a recipe for turnovers. So really what you've got to do is you've got to find a way to take the game away from the Miami running game and from DeArick King scrambling around and making things happen with his legs. The, the more it looks like backyard football when Derek King has, the, has the, the football, the worse it is for the defense. The more it's guy throwing from the pocket, trying to throw downfield and let his receivers do work, the more Florida State is going to be at an advantage there. Now, that said, they do have the best tight end group in the country with Brevin Jordan and Will Mallory. Those two are 
you could argue that those are the two best tight ends in the country and they're on the same team. Now, interestingly, they don't do a great job of using those guys in Lashley's offense. That's something that Norvell, Norvell's offense, I tell you what, you put Jordan and Mallory on the Florida State roster and they're getting force-fed the football and they are, they're being used in the blocking scheme and all of a sudden Florida State's offense looks very different because those guys are featured. Lashley's offense is not exactly that way. Now, they will flex King out, or, or, or that is, they'll flex Jordan out, and uh, and they'll use him more as a receiver, again, to compensate for the lack of elite guys out there. And Jordan is a guy that you can't single cover with any of the, any of the linebackers on Florida State's roster. He, he's going to win those matchups more often than not. And he's going to win the matchups against the safeties most of the time, too. So he's the guy where you got to help. Mallory's a guy, he's pretty good. But it's more his versatility, his ability to, to block and to, to do some things downfield. Not quite the matchup problem that Jordan is, but both guys are really good, and that doesn't match up very well. Florida State does not match up very well at linebacker with that group. Now, you're going to have to find a way to, to cover those guys. Now, if you've got a healthy Hamsa, then you can actually single cover one of those guys. You feel comfortable with that. If you've got a, a little bit more experienced Travis J. You can cover those guys with, with that one guy. But right now, I don't think Florida State's quite where they could do that. And again, late in the year, had this, had this matchup happen later, I think Florida State's defense would match up really well in that respect. Right now, uh, you know, I'm just not real comfortable with that, with that situation. And that's, where, that's the one place where I think they can hurt you with King playing within the script. That is not that is King using his arms and not using his legs, not running around and making plays, but actually just going to the tight end. So the more that you can, in my view, single cover those receivers and force them to go to those receivers instead of instead of those those tight ends, bracket the tight ends a bit, make sure you're putting pressure on those guys to take away that first read and force Derek King to actually beat you downfield to beat your corners. I think that's what you've got to do. And the other, the other part to this that is really interesting to me is one of the things that stood out the most to me watching Miami's first two games is Miami's offensive line isn't much better than Florida State's, if at all. I'm not convinced that the Miami offensive line is actually better than Florida State's offensive line. And that's not saying positive things about Florida State's offensive line, by the way. That's just saying, I don't think Miami's offensive line is very good. And I think there's some serious issues on the right side of Miami's offensive line where you've got DJ Scaife and Jared Williams. And I think Williams is average at tackle. And I think Scaife is a, is a liability at right guard. If I'm Fuller, if I'm the Florida State defensive staff, I'm looking at Scaife and going, you know what? I can put a really good defensive tackle over him and just tell him to kick that guy's tail. And my guy can win that matchup nine times out of 10 because that guy can't block my guys. That's what I'm that's what I'm thinking. Now, I have to get my guys to play to their level, to play to their level of talent. But that's my job as a coach. In terms of what they're actually capable of, I don't think Scaife can block those guys. And Williams, like I said, is average. And I think I think Miami's offensive line across the board has some real weaknesses and and you look at where they got a lot of their yardage against UAB and against uh against Louisville, there were some there were some serious issues that each of those defenses had. For one, UAB had, I think, 12 players out. And they ultimately just got tired. They got worn down over the course of the game. 
And then if you look at what happened in Louisville, Louisville, most of the yards Louisville gave up were on busts or on things where there, there was unsound scheme in a couple cases. I mean, the, the two big plays, two big pass plays were basically Louisville didn't cover the guy going to the boundary. They just didn't have, they, they didn't match the formation correctly. And there was a guy that was just not covered. Well, if you do that, then yeah, Miami's going to score plenty of points. But if you're going to be, if you can find a way to just play sound and make them have to beat you on the interior and actually have to run against a good front, which I'm not sure Florida State has, but that's another story. They've got the personnel to actually be a good front if they play to that. If you get good pad level, if they play to their talent level and play with the intensity that they should, they've got the, the potential to be that. You're going to have to show me that, they, that they're going to do it. But there's no reason to think that Miami's offensive line and running, uh, running game should be able to just take it to Florida State's front. I, I just don't see it. I, I think their offensive line is is a Florida State-esque offensive line. It's one of the worst in the ACC. Now, King makes it look a lot better because you look at UAB. UAB got a number of shots on him in the pocket, and he just escaped. I mean, he Houdini'd those guys. And that's where, that's where you get frustrated as a coordinator. That's the big danger for Florida State is they beat the offensive line, and then all of a sudden you, you, loot, you get... King running loose in the secondary, and that's exactly what you don't want. So you got to find ways of playing under control while you're while you're winning those ma- matchups up front. And again, the key here is to call this game to stop the run and force King to beat you from the pocket. If you're if you're tearing back there, if you're if you're doing a bunch of stuff where you've got guys flying into the backfield where King could potentially make a guy miss and then all of a sudden make you pay, that's that's the worst case scenario. You want to avoid the worst case scenario. You want to make sure that everything's under control and that you're bottling him up. That's really what you want. Jimbo used to talk about this when he was at Florida State, where he would say that you want to compress the pocket against those kinds of guys. You want to make them feel in tight space. You don't necessarily want to get those. You, you don't need to sack those guys. You just want to make them feel pressure and compressed. And stay in your lanes and mush rush those guys. And I think that's a lot of what you want to do if you're Florida State here. Now, another thing that, by the way, stood out to me when I went when I went through the uh, the film breakdowns is that I thought Fuller used too many stunts in in game one. And one of those things, stunts can help you against a against a mobile passer at times because it's not clear where the uh, where the, where the hole's going to be, where the gap's going to be for, for a scramble. But other times it can open up those seams. And I think the bigger thing is that it, it takes away the, uh, it can take away, if you do it all the time, it can take away the aggressiveness of just getting upfield and getting after your guy in the pass rush. And I think they need to go, I think they need to do a little bit less stunting, a little bit less, uh, a fewer, a little bit fewer games up front than what they did in, in game one and turn those guys loose in, in straight up rush lanes to just compress the pocket in straight lanes in this one, especially since when they did those twists and, and stunts and all that, they didn't do them all that well. I mean, you had guys just, if they'd done it correctly, they're getting to the quarterback, but instead they're tripping over their own feet or they're you know running an extra two or three yards to loop around when it should be a tight loop, other things like that. So you, either you've got to find a way to get those executed uh, in, in a better fashion or just go away from that a little bit and let your talent go up front and tell them to to play it with a low pad level, high intensity, and just get it done. So when I'm looking at this matchup of Miami's offense against Florida State's defense, it boils down to one thing for me. 
Can Florida State shut down the run enough and eliminate those those gaps in the running game for both the running backs and King on both design runs and otherwise? Can they limit the run enough to make Miami throw from the pocket behind the chains? If they can do that, I think they can really limit what Miami can do offensively. They're, they're just not a team that that is going to beat you a bunch throwing downfield to their receivers. Just not. Going to take a quick break and then look at the other side of the ball, Florida State's offense against Miami's defense. Want to pause for a moment and thank Luis Marquez from Keller Williams Realty in Jacksonville, Florida. Over 90% of home buyers search online first these days, so it's critical to make sure your listing stands out with great pictures and video. Lewis is a trained photographer and videographer. Other realtors have hired him to come photograph their listings, and nobody will make your home look better for prospective home buyers, including smooth, professional walkthrough video. And if you're in the market to buy a home in the greater Jacksonville area, no one will outwork Lewis. He was a manager at the Pickup Publix on Ocala and Tallahassee, so you know he works hard and understands customer service. He'll help you find the right house and make sure every step goes smoothly through closing. Information in the show notes. Let him know you heard about him from the Unconquered podcast. Now, obviously, the matchup of Florida State's offense against Miami's defense starts with the recognition that Florida State's offensive line and quarterback position do not put them at an advantage against a whole lot of defenses. And also the lack of playmaking from the uh, or lack of big, big playmakers from the running back position and some weakness at the tight end position, you, you realize that Florida State has a lot of holes on offense. So that, that's going to that's going to limit what you're really able to do all season. So first of all, you just recognize that. And then you look at the Miami defense and you, you, you note that they have some marquee transfers that came in. They had uh, Roche and Phillips, the two the two edge players. Their two edge players are both transfers, one from UCLA and the other from Temple. Guys that are high-profile uh, defensive ends that are being featured in that defense now. And those transfers make them a lot better, for sure. Fact, though, is that without Greg Rousseau on the field, they're not what they were on the defensive line. Rousseau is special. The two defensive ends that they have out there now they're good, but they're not. They're they're nowhere near Rousseau. And quite honestly, I think Miami's defensive defensive line is pretty average overall. They're okay at defensive tackle. Silvera is the most disruptive of them, but he's also gotten pushed around a little bit. And the rest are just okay. They don't have a ton of talent at defensive tackle. And inside, basically, you have a matchup of average versus. Average? I mean, against Florida State's offensive interior, when they're when you've got Smith, Babyon Johnson, and uh, and Lucas against those defensive tackles, I think that's basically average on average. Now the problem is that Roche and Phillips are pretty good on the edge, and that's where Florida State's weakest. That said, I've when I've watched Roche against the run, he's 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 a threat against the pass. He's a very good pass rusher, and that's a real problem for Florida State. He's going, to get, he's going to get some pressure on Blackman from the edge. There's no doubt about that at different points. But I've watched him get pushed around or get out of lane against the run in some shocking ways. I mean, UAB ran right at him. And they had success with that. Phillips a little bit better overall in terms of against the run and a more well-rounded end, but not quite the freak against the as a pass rusher. But he'll give you some problems. And they'll give Florida State some problems on the edge. But overall, I think that matchup 
this is not a situation like last year where with with Rousseau on the field, Florida State just couldn't block him. This is a matchup where there's going to be times where Florida State's going to have some issues. But by and large, it's going to be possible to block Miami's front for Florida State when the when the five starters are healthy, when the five starters are out there. So if they can stay healthy, if they can keep the five starters out there, the more they can keep the five starters out there, the more they're going to be able to block Miami's front. And that's going to give them a chance. Then you add to that that I'm not real impressed by Bradley Jennings Jr. And I'm I'm kind of sad to say that because, you know, obviously I've known Senior for 20 years and and really, you know, I, I love that guy. But quite frankly, Junior is not the player that Senior was. Not at this point, at least. And I think you can run the ball on the interior against Miami's defense. I think that's I, I think there are plays to be made there. And then you add to that that their secondary is good, but they're not Miami good. Well, maybe maybe Miami the last 15 years good. I mean, Al Blades Jr. is a good corner, but he's not any better than than the corners on Florida State's roster. And he's not going to be able to single cover Terry reliably. So you got to give him a little help. Their, their best secondary guy, probably Blades. The next best guy is Bubba Bolden. You could argue for him being their best guy, and he's really good, especially as a, as a run defender and just a general disruptive playmaker there. But he's also been picked on in coverage, and that's a guy I would target if I'm Florida State. Go after Bolton. If you look at what he's given up on the year, the teams, teams that have targeted him, that have gone after him in coverage, he's given up eight catches on eight throws for 9.5 yards per attempt and a touchdown. You can make a living doing that. So this is a game where I think McDonald on Bubba Bolden is an advantage for Florida State. Get Cam McDonald on Bubba Bolden and let him get open and make some plays. And the other guy that I'd really go after is Ivy. I don't think Ivy's all that great. And I think he's a bit of a weakness at that corner. Go after him. Make them make them help Blades a little bit against, against Terry and then go after Ivy in single coverage. I, I think you can win that matchup. So, and you look at this, Florida State has players at the, at the wide receiver position to change the scoreboard. They just haven't done it. They didn't do it in week one. Can they get those guys to play to, their, to the level of their alleged talent? That's the question. And to me, this matchup on the offensive side, on Florida State's offensive side, boils down to can Florida State handle those interior guys enough to generate some running game and then not have to protect the edges against being behind the chains? If they can do that, if they can stay ahead of schedule by running it reasonably well enough against the, that interior, this game gets really interesting really quick. And then the second question is, can Blackman, who has been mercurial, he's been up and down at Florida State, can he play the role of game manager and just don't go out there and lose the game? Make good decisions, get the ball out of your hand. Can he do that? If he can, if he can just avoid making the bad play and they can run it enough to slow this game down and to stay ahead of the chains enough to move it just a little bit, then this game gets really interesting really quickly. And I think they've got the personnel to do it. It's just a matter of being able to get them to execute. Now on the special team side, I'm going to do a quick one on that. Miami's punter, Lou Headley, is one of the best in the country. Don't expect a ton there. And they've got a good kicker as well. And and not only is he reliable in field goals, he's got 12 touchbacks and 16 kicks. So don't expect Florida State's return game to really be the difference maker here. If you're going to probably get a difference making play in this in this game, it's going to be probably via block kick or something like that. And Florida State just needs to be good on their special teams to to try not to get 
blown out on the special teams front or on the hidden yardage front by a very good Miami special teams unit. That's just, that's just, that is what it is. Going to take one more break. Going to come back with the summary of what to expect in this game. And then we'll work forward, forward from there. I want to pause for a moment and thank Shenandoah Newsma from Keller Williams Realty in Chapel Hill, North Carolina. I've been surprised by how many listeners this podcast has in North Carolina. And if you or someone you know is looking for a realtor in the research triangle, Shannon is the best in the business. There's a lot of realtors out there, but not many have a PhD. Shannon did her PhD at UNC and knows how to put that research training to work. My wife and I worked with her when we were looking for a house several years ago, and she sets the standard for having every bit of information possible to help her clients. She is relentless. She's also an ace negotiator as she understands both the economics and psychology of the buying and selling process. You'll want her on your side whether you're buying or selling your house. Her information's in the show notes. Tell her you heard about her from the Unconquered podcast. So in summary, this this is a really interesting matchup. I think this matchup is more favorable to Florida State in terms of personnel and, and just where the strengths and weaknesses of these teams fall than what a lot of people might think having watched these game, these teams coming in. Uh, I think Miami's defense is vulnerable on the interior, vulnerable in the running game, where Florida State's offensive line is is more average. Uh, I think Florida State has the players on the outside to give Miami's coverage players some some problems downfield and potentially change the scoreboard with big plays. The problem is that I don't trust Florida State to do those things at this point. Uh, you have to show, yes, the personnel is there to be able to do it to be able to do it. But you have to show me that you're going to do it. You have to actually execute. You have to actually do it. And Florida State hasn't done that stuff in, in so long that you wonder whether or not these players, despite the physical talent, really can do it at this point. And so to me, this game comes down to two things. The quarterback position and stars playing like stars. And Miami has the edge at quarterback. King doesn't throw it any better than Blackman, in my view. But he does make plays when plays are there to be made, and his legs are a serious problem for any defense playing that offense. And quite frankly, I think Brevin Jordan and and Derek King are more likely to step up and play like stars than, say, Tamorian Terry and and Marvin Wilson at this stage. And Florida State needs those guys to play like stars if if they're going to have a chance in this game. If they're going to win this game, they have to have those guys make more plays than the guys on the opposite side. I think this game's going to be closer than, than expected, though. I think Florida State ultimately can keep this game close. And I think that that's part of the, part of the, the design. If you're Mike Norvell and you're, you're the, the staff that's been putting this together, even though he's not going to be there for the, uh, for the game, you're going to try to slow this game down, limit the number of possessions a little bit, and try to avoid it becoming a shootout. Keep this game close, keep, keep the score down a little bit, play to your defense, and see if you can actually win a close game. Florida State's not been good in close games, though, <laughs> in recent years. And you've got you've to start to learn to win those games. And ultimately, I think that's, that's where, if I'm handicapping this game, I expect this game to be close going into the fourth quarter. And, ultimately, and I, think it, I think it's a lower scoring game. And I think, ultimately, if I'm just going to go and play the odds, I'm going to expect Florida State to falter late in the game and, and do what they've done the last few years. And ultimately, Miami to win this game, something like, 24 to 13 or something like that. I, th- I think that's the the uh, the gap that we're looking at. I, I would not be surprised to see Florida State come out and win this game. Not at all. I wouldn't be surprised to see Miami win by more. That's the problem. So 
Ultimately, I'm going to I'm going to split the difference and say that this is a very competitive game going into the fourth quarter. Miami gets a late score to pull away uh, and win by, say, 11 points that area. And uh, and that's that's where I'll I'll put it. I'm going to go with the projected score of Miami. 24, Florida State, 13 and uh, Miami with about a 60 percent chance of, of winning this game. So Florida State about 40 percent chance of pulling the upset. That'll do it for us here on the Unconquered Podcast. This has been the Unconquered Podcast. I'm your host, Jason Staples. Thanks for listening. The Unconquered Podcast is brought to you by EPR Creations, Louis Marquez of Keller Williams Realty in Jacksonville, Florida, Shenandoah Newsma of Keller Williams Realty in Chapel Hill, North Carolina, Garage Makeovers of Palm Beach and Broward County, and the Unconquered Podcast Shop, which features stickers, magnets, and other seminal gear. If you've been enjoying this podcast, please leave a five-star rating over at Apple Podcasts, post us on social media, and tell a friend. Thanks also to those supporters over at Patreon, where I post video analysis and field questions for the podcast from supporters. Special thanks to those above the bleach numbers level. That is Keith Cheney, Casey Kidd, Chris Chartrand, Andrew Garrett, Brian Leninger, Travis Smith, Vince Calandra, and Bert Bertoldi. I made this.